Welcome, and thank you for joining us for Heart for Iran's webinar series, where each month we speak with one of our partners who has the same passion and heart for Iran as we do. Coming up, we have Dr. Sasan Tavasoli, an author and ordained minister of Covenant Order of Evangelical Presbyterians, along with Dr. Yasser Eric, executive director and bishop-elect of Communio Messianica, Reverend Justin Murph, host of the MENA Collective, and Edwin Kashish Abnus, managing producer of Mohabbat TV. They'll be discussing the challenges and opportunities of virtual churches in the Middle East and its impact on the global church. My name is Mike Ansari. Uh, I'm with Heart for Iran Ministries. And uh, the, the vision of Heart for Iran is to see the fulfillment of the Great Commission uh, in Iran and the region in the Farsi-speaking world. And uh, we have been online for quite some time and also on satellite TV. We have a satellite TV called Mohabbat TV that has been broadcasting in Iran since 2006. And um, we are learning so much about uh, what it means to be online and do online ministry. So today what we wanted to do is we wanted to go ahead and share with you guys some of our, our experiences and have a dialogue of what it takes to be online and dealing with opportunities and also challenges of an online ministry. So I am joined today by some really, really amazing people. I uh, would like to introduce uh, Mr. Edwin Abnus. Edwin Abnus is the director of programming of Mohabbat TV, and uh, he is uh, from the independent evangelical tradition. We have Dr. Sosan Tavasoli here with us. It's good to have you here with us, Sosan. And uh, he is a pastor of Mohabbat Virtual Church. He is a Presbyterian pastor. Uh, we are also joined today by Dr. Yasser Eric. Yasser, it's great to have you with us from Germany. He's, uh, Yasser Eric is the chairman of uh, Community Messianica. Uh, he is an MBB originally from Sudan, and uh, he is also the professor of theology and Islamic studies, and he's a Lutheran pastor. Uh, it's good to have you with us all the way from Germany. And we are also joined by Reverend Justin Murph. Uh, Justin Murph is the executive director of MENA Collective and president of Institute for Digital Ecclesiology from the Anglican. He's an Anglican minister. Justin, it's great to have you with us. Uh, as you can see, everybody, we are joined by some really awesome people, and it's great to, to have you all with us. Um, the session is open for questions, and, um, and if we would like to ask you guys to send emails to us. Our email address is info at heartforiran.com. And definitely, we would like to take questions. The format of the program is that we are going to be taking the first hour uh, in uh, presenting to you uh, the topic of virtual church. And then the second hour is going to be open for questions and answers. Uh, hang out with us and be with us. Uh, we are also going to encourage you to send us any questions that you may have in the first hour. We'll be able to insert those and ask those questions. So before I, um, I ask my brother, Dr. Sosan, to share a bit of an introduction, let me share with you that Mohabbat TV has been, we have been um, uh, online uh, since 2014. We have been uh, uh, sharing uh, the, the gospel using PalTalk and other ways. Uh, Dr. Sosan has been with us. Uh, this, has, this platform has been managed by our brothers, uh, Edwin Abnus. Uh, but about a year ago, we decided that we wanted to be more prominent online. We wanted to create a virtual church. And, what, and, and virtual church is a very problematic uh, concept to talk about because how do you have church online? Church is supposed to be face-to-face -face fellowship. 
So when you go online, there's some elements that are lost. There's some challenges. There's some theological perspectives that need to be considered, including sacraments. And those are the challenges that we saw. And I do want to share with you what we've seen is uh, initially a lot of other ministry partners of ours, they said, hey, guys, online ministry is questionable. Now, today with COVID-19 coronavirus hitting everybody, a lot of those ministries are finding themselves ministering online. So it seems that this pandemic has brought us into a new age, and we can't help but discuss this because this is here. It has arrived. We can no longer ignore it. So today, we hope that this session would, would help you, bless you, and give you guys some takeaways, do's and don'ts, opportunities, guidelines, best, best practices. So I'm going to ask my brother, Dr. Sosan Tavassori, to go ahead and give us an introduction and share with us more about today. Dr. Sosan. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Mike Ansari. Uh, again, greetings. Uh, this is Sosan Tavassoli from Atlanta. Uh, as it was mentioned, I believe, we were supposed to be in London today uh, with uh, leaders and practitioners and discussing uh, the opportunities and challenges of virtual churches. Uh, because of this pandemic, nobody's in London. So we are now in this virtual space together doing this seminar and welcoming all of you from around the world. So we want to do some reflections today, some deeper conversations and engagements about online virtual churches. And as, again, it was mentioned just a moment ago, the whole world is now involved in online churches. This is not just a, a, a Middle East context of ministry, an Iranian context of ministry. It is now a global context that we are finding ourselves in. So we hope that these conversations that started in Iran and in the Middle East many, many years ago can have some relevance and insights for churches around the world, especially churches in the West, who've never had to deal maybe with uh, an online virtual church uh, conversation. But I want to start today by mentioning some basic information about the Iranian context. The Islamic Republic of Iran continues to experience one of the fastest growing movements of evangelical Christianity in the world today. It's estimated that over 5 million Iranians also live in diaspora around the world, outside of Iran and in countries around the world. Many of these Iranians in diaspora are also coming to faith, and many churches and fellowships have started in the last two decades outside of Iran as well. One of the most significant means for this worldwide spiritual revolution among Iranians has been satellite TV, and more recently, the newer social media and online platforms. A number of Christian organizations have been at the forefront of guiding, resourcing, and equipping these movements. At the same time, due to persecution and fear created by the Iranian regime, most believers inside Iran are not connected with the local house church or fellowship. There are mostly individual believers or single family units which are nurtured in their faith by watching Christian satellite TV programs or being involved in various online platforms and virtual churches. Vast majority of believers inside Iran have very little opportunity for fellowship, prayers, and interaction with other believers face to face. A significant number of Iranian believers outside of Iran also find themselves isolated and not connected with the local church. This is mainly due to the limited number of Iranian local churches around the world and a lack of mature, experienced, and theologically trained leadership. 
Furthermore, similar to trends elsewhere, more and more Iranians of all backgrounds spend more time interacting and accessing information on social media or virtual online platforms. The incarnational nature of the gospel demands that we have a faithful presence in the virtual spaces where people are spending a significant amount of their time on a regular basis. Given this background and the new reality of the Iranian Christian movement, a number of Iranian pastors, Christian leaders, and parachurch organizations have become more intentional in engaging with Iranians in Iran and in the diaspora through online churches and virtual communities. So in light of these developments, we believe it's time for various ministries involved in such activities to gather together in a spirit of mutual love, humility, and openness to hear from one another, to share our best practices, and to address the concerns and challenges that we face in our online communities of faith. And one interesting fact, uh, again, as I, as, I, as I just mentioned a second ago, uh, what was hot topics of consideration because of the reality of ministering in a Muslim context, in a way has now become similar analogous to the church in the West with this corona pandemic. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was an article in Christianity Today uh, talking about approaching Easter, being in our homes and not together in churches. Uh, there was an article that said this, in my tradition, we pray for the persecuted church every Sunday. These prayers mean more to me now than they did before. They have also become more personal. Now that our services are online, some friends from the global south have been able to join us for worship. Listen to this next paragraph. The unfortunate reality of live stream services has become, an, of, has become an avenue for global connection. And the painful reality of our scattered worship can give us empathy for Christians around the world. I thought that was a beautiful sentiment. And so today, I very much look to the Christians in the West as a conversation partner in this dynamic of online virtual churches, and we welcome you uh, for today's seminar. Thank you. Uh, the topic for today is validation and legitimization of virtual church. Uh, we're talking about the country of Iran, but this is applicable globally because we're seeing with this coronavirus, things are going in that direction. But I do want to mention that in Middle East, the concept of virtual church has been going on for quite some time. It's nothing new. We have had other ministry partners, Iranian partners, uh, that are ministering online as, as a church in the country of Iran. So across the Middle East, because uh, people are coming from Islamic background to Christianity, because most of those nations and regions are persecuted, what really only works in some cases are online ministries, virtual churches. So that's what brings us here to um, uh, Reverend Justin Murph. It's good to have you with us. I have a quick question for you, uh, Brother Justin. So you have been wanting to bring uh, the church in the West online for some time. And you've been looking at the examples of the church in the Middle East. So now that you've been looking at these lessons uh, in, in Iran, in the Arab world, um, and you have taken some of those le uh, lessons. Can you tell us more on what we're looking at when we talk about an online church? Because those concepts, online, digital, virtual, can be very confusing. Are we talking about virtual reality, augmented reality? What is it? Can you please give us an introduction of what it is that we're looking at so we could get our terminology and our perspective in the right place right off the bat? 
Absolutely. Well, thanks for having me, and it's great to be with all of you. Now, when we look at the church online, I think it's important that we take a step back, first of all, and we all get on the same playing field about what do we mean by a healthy church. And so let's take a look for a moment, if we will, at what does the Bible tell us about the functions of a church? So if we look at the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, we can actually see the five functions of a healthy New Testament church. So looking at the Great Commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, that's our worship, right, our acts of worship. Love your neighbor as yourself, that's service and ministry, could be fellowship as well. Then when we go to the Great Commission, all authority in heaven, Jesus said, on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That's evangelism. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In almost every Christian tradition, the act of bringing someone into the fellowship of the church is baptism. And teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. That's the discipleship that we uh, want to not just create baby Christians all over the world, but we want to create disciple-making disciples. That's the healthy function when we look at the five functions of a biblical New Testament church. Now, there are three, some would argue even four, different types of church models. The first is the online church. It's essentially a digital hybrid. This is a digital campus of a physical church. Now, in, in one retrospect, the online church um, is essentially watching an online view of a normal church service. This could be a, a television broadcast. It could be uh, a simple live stream from a sanctuary of a church building. But in this model, the worshiper is really a lone spectator. There's no option for live interaction. It's essentially the same as watching Christian television. Now, this particular model, the online or digital campus hybrid model, can be used for home churches, small groups. Uh, it's great to kind of begin a multi- site model because you have one main stream. But imagine, for example, in Syria, we could have 30 different house churches or 30 different small churches that are broadcasting a service, say, from Beirut, Lebanon. And so that's a model that we're beginning to see explored and realized through that particular model. The next model is what we would really call a virtual church. This is a, a church that doesn't have a physical building. And so it might be recorded or, or streamed live from a home. It might be from an office building. There's no physical campus, but there could be physical community. You could gather people in homes. You could gather people in small groups throughout the week. The worshiper could be anonymous. And this is a plus or minus depending on the security situation of the country. Now, the worshipers are active participants. In this particular model, you have the ability to actually use different platforms such as Zoom or Facebook groups or even church online platform where you're able to interact. You can ask questions in real time. You can uh, engage with prayer partners or counselors. And this is particularly useful in the Middle East where we have people who may not ever be able to physically attend a real live church service in a physical building because of uh, national religious identity laws or um, blasphemy laws. And so there's a really important opportunity to grow a virtual church, particularly in the Middle East. But with technology, there's also the virtual reality church. This is me actually inside of the virtual reality church. Uh, so there's my avatar and uh, I'm shaking hands with people and lifting my hands in worship and communicating with people in real time. 
But the downside to this model is that the technology used to get into a virtual reality church, such as an Oculus headset, could actually be pretty costly for some folks. There's a whole wide range of models, and this could be virtual reality, this could be in gaming, uh, there's a whole host of technology that we're just beginning to see the church realized. Now, if we look at the timeline of the virtual church or the digital church, um, you know, this is really nothing new, actually. In the 1980s, there were bulletin board small groups on technology. Churches started their websites in the 90s, streaming in the early 2000s. Here in North America, the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and the International Bible Society launched their evangelism training to how to share your faith online back in 2001. And Barna Research released their Cyber Church Report, which was groundbreaking because it showed that over 100 million Americans were trying to meet their religious needs online. But really important in the highlight, and I'm really thankful we have Edwin here with us on the, the chat today. One of the very first digital churches, I mean, when we take those five functions of a healthy New Testament church and we look at where is that expressed independently online as an isolated digital movement, one of the very first ones in the world was actually the Yahoo Instant Messenger Church inside of Iran. And Edwin, who's with us today, was actually the leader of that online church. And you see in the timeline since then, of course, Life Church launched their online campus. Then they launched the Uversion app. Then they launched the platform. Then VR Church launched. So we're seeing a great escalation of the, the virtual church in the digital age. And so it's exciting to be a part of what we're doing. And we're really hoping that this is not only new boundaries for the church globally, but what the Middle Eastern church has been doing is actually a great model for many of us in the West to learn from. Justin, thank you so much for sharing with us the, the importance of understanding online ministry, the differences. I don't think right now we are looking at augmented reality kind of church or virtual avatar church, the, um, but it is something that is happening soon. It's right around the corner. What we're hearing from you is there are congregations and there are church groups that are utilizing this technology. Anytime that you introduce technology in the midst of uh, what we call a uh, historic church or church, there always are questions. There always are challenges. But before we even talk about that, I do want to go ahead and one more time welcome the people who are joining us. We have more people joining us on Facebook Live. Great to have you with us. The topic of today's discussion is legitimization of virtual church. A lot of churches, a lot of ministries are finding themselves online, especially now during coronavirus. And the questions that come up is, how valid is ministering online? How effective is it? Um, so that is what we're discussing today, and we have some experts here. Uh, allow me to also let you know that today happens to be what we call a Giving Tuesday in Iran. Um, Bibles are illegal. We have a Bible wait list of about 520 Iranian Muslims who have reached out to us and said, can you please send me a Bible? And, and that list is growing. And we would like to send those Bibles to Iran. Roughly cost about $7 per Bible. If you click on the link on the chat box, you'll be able to connect and share the gift of a Bible with the Muslims of Iran. So that opportunity, we just wanted to present it to you. Uh, and if you want to sh uh, share that opportunity with us and people of Iran, please do so. Our vision at Heart for Iran is to bring, to fulfill the Great Commission in the region. Now, I want to go ahead and piggyback on the last slide that you shared with us. Justin, would you please be able to share your screen and put that slide back up again? You mentioned that in 2002, there was a group of Iranians that launched 
uh, a Yahoo-based um, online church. This is probably one of the early references of, uh, of online church in Iran. And the person who was behind launching that happens to be on this call. And I would like to present to you Mr. Edwin Abnus. Thank you so much, Justin. You could go ahead and stop sharing that screen so I could introduce Edwin to us. Edwin, it's good to have you with us. Thank um, you. Edwin, you are currently um, serving as, the, uh, as one of the individuals who, uh, besides the fact that 16 years ago, you started launching your very first, uh, one of the first online uh, churches on Yahoo Instant Message and other platforms. Today, you are leading Mahabat TV's virtual church every week live into Iran. Why That's do you right. think it is important to be online as a ministry? What are some opportunities and challenges? And why is it that you're doing what you're doing? Yeah, that's right. Well, thank you very much, Mike. Uh, this is a subject very near and dear to my own heart, but not only because of, you know, in the past, as you guys mentioned, that I've been involved with this online church, but also with the ministry that we are involved with, Heart for Iran, launching this Mohabbat virtual church, which I'm going to get into it in a, in a second. I'm really excited seeing that this idea of digital ecclesiology, this digital church, has come to foreground, especially now with this unfortunate pandemic that we're going through. You just mentioned at the beginning of your, uh, of your talk that because of this pandemic, many of these churches, I, oh, it was unbelievable. I was checking this Facebook feeds to see all of these churches are going online, especially these traditional churches, which at one point kind of were hesitant about kind of calling this a digital church, now everybody's kind of migrating the, into the cyberspace and trying to, you know, uh, preach the gospel and attend to these, uh, you know, saints uh, and, and join, try to gather everyone, everyone to, uh, to, to the worship. And uh, so it is an unprecedented time right now to see that this discussion is uh, around this topic is evolving. And it is not the matter of interest anymore, I believe, uh, but uh, it is becoming a necessity. That is why this topic is relevant today and uh, more than before. And I want to thank you for uh, opening this uh, conversation uh, uh, for the ministries, not only for the ministries, but also for the larger audience. As you know, I started this uh, Iranian online church, the first one, 16 years ago. And uh, uh, that experience shaped and directed my thinking about digital church. The result of this online church ministry were uh, phenomenal, uh, given the fact that the idea of online presence uh, was very new, and we didn't know uh, uh, if this idea will work. But in a couple of years, we had over 3,000 registered members and had hundreds of attendees every week. Hundreds of salvation we, we saw. And in some instances, this is very interesting for you guys to know, that couples met this in online church and eventually married. And we have a couple of good leaders that are serving to this day, which emerged, these people emerged from this uh, digital platform. And it was a success. Now, uh, you mentioned about challenges. Uh, yes, it was not easy back then because... Uh, like many other technology, internet and online gathering uh, was suggesting a change, right? Uh, uh, in the definition of community, and in our case, the church. Once you bring the church an online platform, then connecting this word online or virtual to it, uh, it just, uh, it's a little bit not, it's not easy thing to digest and kind of 
understand what really that means. So many were asking, is it legitimate to call this online gathering a church? Uh, a church? Aren't these just chat rooms? You, know, you just guys get over there and talk about Christ and, and th uh, do things like that. All right? Best, you know, maybe it is good to call it an online mission. Are you, aren't you guys changing the historic and traditional definition of the church? Aren't you guys undermining the ordinance uh, that the church is offering your church is offering through uh, it is online platform to attendees. So these are the uh, questions and these challenges that were brought up back then, which is kind of valid today also, are real. And these are questions that I think we need to think about it and address it and, and uh, have an answer for it. Uh, but we cannot just ignore it and go on our own way and doing our own thing. These are the questions, legitimate questions that we need to engage with. And uh, as we engage with these challenges, we should not always have uh, having an open-armed attitude towards anything new uh, by receiving it and quickly adapting to it, right? Uh, neither should we take this strategy like more like Amish community by rejecting any technology that comes our way, trying to preserve our traditional form of community and way of doing life. Uh, uh, we, we, we need to understand what it means, what effect uh, is having on our community and on our church, and is, is it, you know, can we welcome this? So it has to be discussed in depth. I personally see these changes many folds, uh, but I'm just going to mention two of them, which I know will come up later on, we'll talk about it. And I don't want to say problem, uh, I'd rather say questions and challenges, because we are engaging with something new and this needs to be addressed and we need to think about it and we need to understand what that means. Uh, I want to refer you guys to a, a, a quote by Marshall McLuhan. If you guys have read his book, I think he's a prophet uh, when it comes to the new media and, and I think it kind of relates to what we're talking about. He has a, he has a quote uh, struck to him that he says, we shape our tools and thereafter our tools shape us. So the question we need to answer is, how is the internet shaping the church? This is, this is a, this internet is a tool, it's a technology we have developed, but how is it shaping the church? How do we understand the church in this new technological context? As, you know, as the locality, which is one of the characteristics of community, uh, is fading away in a sense. Right now we are on Zoom and on Facebook, we get together uh, and we don't see each other in, in, in a physical sense. And community is redefining uh, our world, the question because do we need to understand the church along with these new definitions or we need to stick to our traditional approaches always have uh, we, we had. The second question and the challenge we need to engage with is, uh, is the sacraments or ordinance, uh, which I know we discussed today. How do we, how do we address that? Uh, if you're moving towards understanding some online gathering as an expression of this church, as we call it online church, virtual church. How are we going to ask the question about the ordinance? These I think are the main uh, uh, f uh, theological uh, aspects of what we are seeing right now. And, and I'm, I'm hoping, I'm looking forward to, to discuss this with you guys. And I'm really excited about this, uh, about virtual church, which is, uh, is, is being, uh, broadcasted every every week from uh, Mohabbat Studios into the world for Farsi-speaking uh, uh, nations. 
And uh, I'm seeing God's work, his hands is in there, and God's uh, gracious uh, saving power is saving a lot of people, and people are being nurtured and, and trained for the leadership. Edwin, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, questions are coming in on Facebook and also on Zoom. Uh, for those of you guys who are with us, if you have questions, we are taking questions. So please type them in the chat box and we'll be able to ask our, our experts those questions. Um, and uh, again, the topic of the day is, what do we do with online ministry? Is, is legitimization of online church, virtual church. We happen to have two Muslim background believers on this, uh, on this panel. Uh, Dr. Yasser Eric, uh, originally from Sudan. He's an MBB, a Muslim background believer, believer, somebody who converted from Islam to Christianity. And we also have Dr. Sosan Tavassoli uh, from Iran. I want to start with you, Dr. Sosan. When we talk about um, uh, the concept of virtual church, especially to the pastors, to ministers, um, uh, there's always uh, the theological challenge. We do have a question on, on, online, for example, that they're talking about sacraments. I know we're going to be asking that question from Dr. Yasser in a moment, but there always are challenges. As a pastor, the question that I have for you is, how has your thinking evolved about the role and the significance of virtual church, especially now that you're finding yourself a pastoring a Mohabbat TV virtual church? Can you explain that to us? Yes, I must start with a confession. Edwin had talked to me for many years about the significance and the reality and the legitimacy of online church. And I was pushing back against Edwin. So I was not a big fan. I was not a big advocate of this. Uh, I have a very high view of the, of the sanctity of the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And we need to respect and honor the reality of the church. Uh, but my own thinking has evolved. And, uh, and Justin has, has had a major role in my own thinking. I want to acknowledge him too. And as I reflected on, uh, on this, uh, as I reflected on the reality of our context, uh, I want to highlight four things that have helped me as I am dealing with virtual church, online church. Number one is the incarnational implication of the gospel. The incarnational implication of the gospel. We follow a God and a Savior who became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, in the beautiful translation of the Bible by Eugene Peterson, the message, uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, I think Eugene Peterson says, you know, talking about the incarnation, uh, the the translation of, of the message, well, now it doesn't. It says, and God showed up in our neighborhoods. You know, he became flesh. Jesus, the word became flesh and showed up in our neighborhoods. That's the reality of incarnation. God who dwelt among us. How does this conviction guide us as we think through the issue of dwelling among the people who spend a significant amount of their time in the virtual neighborhoods, in the online neighborhoods. That's where the people are at. A lot of people spend a big chunk of their time in online communities. That's their virtual neighborhoods. The gospel compels us to make sure that Jesus and the message of Jesus is dwelling in those neighborhoods. So the, the incarnational implication of the gospel and then the missional implication of the gospel. Again, the great commission verse that Justin shared with us already, Jesus tells us to go into all the world 
and make disciples. An important aspect of our world is the virtual world, is the online world. So not only the reality of Jesus' incarnation, but the reality of Jesus' commission, I think, has compelled me to have a very, very different perspective on the significance and role of the virtual church. But it's not just that my theology has compelled me to move into this direction, but the reality of our context that we are facing, the socio-political context. I talked about the persecution of Muslim Muslim background believers in Iran and in all other parts of the Islamic world in the Middle East. But not just the persecution, um, we also deal with lack of freedom lack of democracy, lack of free free expression of religion. We are also dealing with the reality of the geographical spread of the Iranian diaspora. Not just the Iranian believers in Iran who cannot go to a church, a physical church, but many Iranians are spread around the world. They live in countries where they don't have access to a church, where they don't have a local church, where they understand their language and their culture, and they are feeling very isolated and lonely. They are in a free country, but there is really no real access to them, to a church where they can worship God in their mother tongue. And then the lack of another social, uh, uh, the reality of our context is the lack of trained pastoral, trained, uh, theologically trained Iranian pastors and leaders. We have, the church has been growing uh, in a phenomenal way, but we do not have adequate, qualified leadership to pastor them in local congregations. So that's also a social context that we are dealing with. So the socio-political context has forced me to rethink my ideas about the role of online virtual churches. And finally, the ecclesial context. Jesus tells us to go and preach the gospel, and the disciples, whenever they follow Jesus' uh, command, they form churches. We are called to uh, start churches around the world, as Justin said, baptizing uh, new believers in the name of uh, the triune God and forming churches. But the reality is, in many parts of the world, including Iran, you cannot have physical churches. uh, And uh, the only form of physical face-to-face relationship is in illegal, secret, small groups of house churches. So the ecclesial context of we cannot just emphasize that, no, the church has to have this shape, the church has to, has, has to have this definition, but this definition does not work in some parts of the world. Now, I want to say again, I want to come back to the pandemic that the whole world is now facing, that many of these particular issues that have been true for us as Iranian Christians from a Muslim background, in some way, shape, or form, some of these social contexts are now true for the church in America, for the church in Europe. So that the, the, the context right now and for the, for the foreseeable future, uh, we cannot gather in large groups face-to-face in our local church. How can we think through the reality of our online communion. Uh, I attend a large American mega church in the city of Atlanta, and my uh, American pastor preaching to his American congregation showed a clip of our house church program on Mohabbat TV and offering communion to our viewers as a model to prepare his American congregation to take communion from their homes 
in an online worship community. And I was very honored that here the church in America can look to the persecuted church in Iran and say, we can learn lessons that God is just as real in my home with my family as I take communion and watching worship uh, on my computer. God is just as real. The spirit is just as real as when we gather with other believers in a building. So these are the, these are the ways that my thinking has evolved. The theological uh, implications of the gospel, the incarnation, and the Great Commission, and the sociopolitical and the ecclesial context of the 21st century Iran. And so these are, I have now become a great advocate, a great defender of online virtual uh, church and faith communities. Uh, my own life is deeply touched and enriched by participating in online churches every week. Thursday nights at 9 p.m. Tehran time is where we gather together as our community of faith. Uh, I spent a lot of time counseling uh, members online, uh, you know, walking in their shoes and listening to their stories online. So a great deal of life happens, a great deal of fellowship and relationship happens in an online digital platform. And so I'm celebrating that. And again, and I will end by saying this, I do not, do not in any way, shape or form believe that there is a competition between the online um, ministries or church online church ministries and the physical church ministries, I think they complement each other. We always encourage our uh, church members, virtual church members, to try to gather with a few other believers wherever they are, whether they are refugees in Turkey, whether they're living in Iran. Our goal is to bring people into relationships with each other in the real physical world in small groups in places where they can be safe. That's our goal, but I think for the, for the critical uh, context that we find ourselves, whether it's the persecution or the coronavirus pandemic, we need to rethink uh, how we view fellowship, relationship, and church. So thank you for this opportunity. Hassan, thank you so much for sharing. So to recap what you're saying, you're saying that um, as, as a Presbyterian pastor, you, you went through a significant um, change of your mindset of how you're looking at the whole concept of church. We do have on this call an Anglican, uh, Presbyterian, Lutheran, and also an Evangelical uh, that are saying the same thing. Now, in 2014, Heart Free Iran's Mohabbat TV launched a platform called My Kelisa. It was an online church that was supplemented by TV programming called My House, My Church, which Sosan, you were leading, and Edwin was the producer for those. And over the last few years, you guys have started teaching people how to do uh, church, how to, how to have a church service in an underground setting. But now you're seeing the tra uh, transition to online because a lot of people are finding themselves on, online on the Internet. Um, but the challenge that we, I believe that you face or we all face was uh, there were denominational differences and different perspectives on defining some of the basics of theology of sacraments and other things. I do want to go ahead and bring my attention now to Dr. Yasser. Dr. Yasser, it's great to have you with us. For those of you guys who just joined us, Dr. Yasser, Eric joins us uh, from Germany, and he was born as an MB. Uh, he was born in Sudan as a Muslim, and he has become an MBB. He also is a professor of theology and, and Islamic studies in Germany. He's one of the experts in the field, and he's a Lutheran pastor. You are predominantly ministering to Arabs. 
Arabs in, uh, across the world. And also you are bringing teaching and trainings to, to across Europe to Germans and people in Europe who are ministering among Muslims. So the question that I have for you is, um, tell us about the theological legitimization, which brings us to these practical needs. It, it's, it's a big challenge. A lot of us have a lot of theological questions, Dr. Dr. Yasser. There are a lot of questions. There are a lot of unknowns over here, and we need to make sure that we're walking biblically on the biblical truth, on the theological principles that we all agree with. But these are very, very interesting and delicate areas. So um, can you tell us, in particular, finding ways to deal with the sacraments and also the, the, the theology of online church, your experience, and how it has helped you and how it can help our audience? Yeah. Thank you very much, Dr. Um, uh, Dr. Mike, uh, for this uh, webinar for Heart for Iran. And uh, for this time, I'm very, very, very much thankful. You know, theology could always be a problem. And it brought divisions in uh, church history and all of that. And that's why I would modify the question a little bit. It's not only the issue of theology. It's actually the issue of what the Bible says. You know, and the issue, what's the heart of Jesus? And here are the few facts. You know, it is a fact that we have now that so many Muslims are coming to know the Lord now than never before. And this is only the grace of God. It's not a secret. It's nothing that magic that's coming from us, that God is just visiting our families, visiting our people, and people coming to know him in Kabul, in Khartoum, in Casablanca, in Iran, in Tehran, all over. This is a fact, you know? And now, it's not, the question is not that how Muslims coming to know the Lord. The Lord is doing that. How can we grow to be a church? And we should not forget, a church had been always an invisible. The church of, of Christ is not the church that is being collected in a building. You know, like I could sit here in Germany and my brother sits in Tehran and we belong to the same body, even though there is no building that is really hosting us. You know, so in that sense, I think it doesn't matter where we're sitting. We're part of the body of Christ, and that's actually a biblical fact. And I think because, you know, I was also like Sasan. I was very skeptical, uh, actually, a year ago or two years ago. You know, I got converted by you and some people like uh, Justin and others because, because also of the need, of the need of it. And, you know, the Bible said that the Sabbath was made for man, not that man was made for the Sabbath you know, like the sacrament and the worship, you know, God brought these things for us so that we can worship him. And the verse goes, it said, and Jesus is the Lord over sacrament, over the church, over our lives. And if we have that fact that Jesus is Lord, the Lordship of Jesus is really clear and being defined, you know, then the form we could work on it and the brothers they already shared the need you know i really want to go over you know begging the islamic countries you know to allow us to worship you know to allow us to be a church you know if you are waiting that they will give us a permission to do that believe me we're going to wait too very long and we have been waiting very long and that's why we need to be really creative in a, such a time as this you know 
none of us here in this panel, and we have been discussing, is questioning the church that could meet physically. The question is for the people that who can not meet. You know, we are not just trying to give a legitimization for people to be lazy at home, but it is a fact. And I would like to tell those people in the West, you know, this lockdown for you now, and that you are just following your church uh, digitally, this is for you, it is a temporary time. But from my mother, this is the, this is the, this is the situation that she has been living always in it. It's not just coming with Corona. It came with Islam and it's staying with that, you see. So my mother, she's locked down in Khartoum, you know, with her veil. She cannot go to a church, not because of Corona, because of the system. And I would do everything, you know, so that my mother would get hold, not all of the Bible, of the teaching, and that she can enjoy the fellowship with Jesus Christ the same way that Mike and I do in these countries where we have in a freedom. So I see the heart of Jesus in this, you know, I see the biblical terms of this. And actually we are discussing the, the book of Acts 15. Today, we could only put the label digital, you know? So I think as long as our heart, that people got to know Jesus and make him known, you know, and, and that we can meet physically. From the practice that I have, I baptize people online that, I have seen before, but I could not visit now. You know, I baptize people that I met digitally and then I met physically, you see. So it goes both ways. And I think if Corona taught us one thing, it taught us this thing that the gate of hell cannot prevail and cannot stand against the church of Christ. Um, Dr. Yasser, you're saying that you baptize people, right? Yeah. Can you explain yeah. to us uh, how you go about that? I mean, can you give us an example? Did you just baptize somebody online? How, and how does that work? Because that's that's a complicated thing to do. Uh, can yeah. you tell us how you handled this and what, who, I mean, you don't have to who say who it was. What country was it in? Yeah, you see, like, this came really out of the need. That was nothing that I said in my office here, and I said, well, let us do this. You know, like, I was planning a seminar to go, you know, like, uh, in, in Arab countries and to have a baptism service, you know? and Corona came and shut us down. So I got out of the airplane in my way to that country. I got out and then I came into my office where I'm sitting now and I said, that cannot be the end of it, you know? So I gathered those believers who were supposed to attend that seminar and we got into Zoom, you know? A whole week, I, I went with them all of the program that I was planning to do with them, you know, like uh, Jesus, about the Bible. And those are believers, people who made the decision for Christ. And at the end of the seminar, one of the brothers said to me, you know, but you, you were coming to baptize us. So what is happening now? And this is when the Lord spoke to my heart. He said to me, you know what? Those people have their everything that they need to get baptized. They don't need you. They have the Holy Spirit. They have the water, they have the Bible, they, you know, they are believers. And the challenge was, who is baptizing them? Because all of them, they came to know the Lord at the same time. You cannot measure who is among them has more faith than the other. You cannot do that. So what I did in our culture, age matters. You know, people respect age. So I chose, like, the elderly person among them. And I commissioned him, you know, like, just I'm talking to you now. I commissioned him. Not because I have a secret, not because, you know, I'm giving them something that they don't, they don't have. But they just saw me as a spiritual father, as a brother, 
as somebody that they would like to belong to this Ummah of Jesus Christ. And I prayed with him, I prayed for him. And Mike, I tell you, I felt that I'm touching this brother. You know, I prayed for him. I commissioned him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I told him, baptize the brothers and sisters. And he took them one by one, 35 people, you know, in one day, in one house. And when they finished, the second elder brother baptized the one that will baptize them in the end. And now they have actually a whole house church. They hug each other, you know, and and after that, we serve the Lord's Prayer. We serve the Lord's Supper. You know, I asked this brother who baptized the guys to, to pray for the bread. You see here, the issue of sacrament, Mike, the secret is not in us as a priester. The secret is not in me that I, I bring something that magical will happen to these brothers. It is the presence of the Lord. It's the presence of the Lord. And if we believe in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you know, no walls could have stopped Jesus Christ, you know? Nothing could have stopped him. And those guys, after this baptism, they were rejoicing, they were, they, were, they were singing. And some of them, you know, I'm a Lutheran pastor, some of them start to speak in tongues, you know? And then I said, well, you know what? Maybe God kept me here <laughs> not to interfere with that, you see? So even in this, we experience the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Well, we have a lot of questions that are coming in. A lot of comments are coming in. Let me just read one of the comments. It says, Dr. Yasser, what a tremendous adaptable way to baptize. Uh, this is raising questions for a lot of people because we're not used to seeing sacraments and seeing church done. Now, people who are joining us, again, welcome. Your questions are all important. I am going to be asking the questions from our panelists. So please do send the questions. And we are going to... Uh, also remind you today that uh, today is a Giving Tuesday and we are sending Bibles to people in Iran. Uh, there is a link in your chat box that you could take a look and get more information. I want to go back to what Sosan and Yasser say. What we're dealing with over here, uh, friends, is, is not the church in the West. Um, Yasser said beautifully, we're not asking people to be lazy and not go to church. So Son said that we're not bringing, um, we're not replacing the, 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 the historic church, or traditional church and the meaning of church. What we're doing through Heart for Iran we, and, and the Arab nations, what we're saying is there are a lot of believers that because of safety, because of persecution, because of lack of human rights or religious freedom, are in uh, secret. They are underground and they need to belong to the body of Christ. So uh, online ministry and online church happens to be the only viable bridge to be able to connect them to experiencing the fellowship that the Bible and the Word of God wants us to, to, to experience all of us. So even at Hearts for Iran, our goal is not to replace the, the, the church that is face-to-face, -face, that is physical. That is not our goal. Our goal is to be able to target and reach out to the isolated believers that otherwise would not be able to connect to the body of Christ. So that, that is what we're talking about. And uh, so I want to, be, again, put things in perspective. Um, uh, Justin, there's some questions that are coming up. And, and this is also not just for Justin, for all of you guys. I do want to ask you to maybe address them because um, uh, they're, they're very important. Somebody says, are there some risks and disadvantages to virtual church that we can discuss? I mean, not everything is rosy. Not everything is great. We all do uh, online church uh, to some extent, but there are problems. There are challenges. There are 
their pitfalls. Uh, and uh, Justin, would you be able to take a few few minutes and maybe give us some recommendations of building a digital community, do's and don'ts, challenges, and then I have more questions that our audience would like to ask you guys. Justin. Sure. So from a, a church planting perspective, some of the comments that have come in have been really great. And, you know, I would, I would say, you know, when we would never question the validity of an underground church, right? We would all would agree that the underground church is a legitimate church. What we're talking about is building the above ground church. It's, it's the church that isn't uh, able to meet physically on ground. So yes, it does have the full functions of the church and it is functioning as a church, as the church of Jesus Christ in our days, but in that location. So this is a really important thing. Yasser mentioned the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I would say that, you know, looking at this whole uh, virtual church uh, movement, really from a, a Trinitarian perspective, when we add not only the Lordship of Jesus Christ, but the omnipresence of God the Father and the person and work of the Holy Spirit, then really it doesn't become a difficult question to ask, is the virtual church valid or is the digital church valid? Yes, it absolutely is valid, but there are some best practices. Now, one of the things that we're doing, and I'd like to encourage all of you to do, is we're actually preparing a guidebook on how to do the virtual church in the digital age. What does that actually look like? And uh, of course, Dr. Mike and Dr. Sasan, Dr. Yasser, Edwin, they're all helping to contribute to this uh, body of work that we're putting together, pulling in examples, very practical how-to. And if you'd like to receive a copy of that, I'd encourage you to go ahead and email info at heartforiran.org and ask to be on that list of folks who receive this. I'm sorry, it's info at heartforiran.com. Sorry. Thank you. Sorry. Um, And so we'd love to share this resource with you when it comes out and uh, hope that it would be a blessing to you. Now, um, let me go back to the slides here. So what we're talking about is reaching really beyond the church. And it's important that we understand both the church in the West and the church in the East, that there there are, in the Middle East, there are three major groups that we're trying to reach when we do minister online, right? So first is our our actual church community, whether that's, we're talking the the physical church that, that now is having to meet in COVID times, or the people that the Lord has given us to shepherd and pastor who happen to be gathered virtually. There's also the prospective people. There are the people who uh, are believers, but they don't have a a fellowship to connect with. They're not a part of a connected community. And so that's another group that we want to try to reach and engage. But then there's also the unchurched. There's the unbeliever. There's the person who doesn't know the goodness of Jesus Christ or the truth of the gospel. And so in our ways of communicating online, we really have three distinct groups or personas that we're trying to engage with. And we can do that through many different means online, whether that's through Zoom, like this in- encrypted uh, stream that we're having right now on Zoom, or through Facebook, where many of you are watching right now, or YouTube. There's groups that are starting on uh, WhatsApp. I mean, a number of different environments. But streaming our Sunday services simply isn't enough. We actually need to be channeling our folks into creating and curating a digital community. And how we do that is creating those life groups, those discipleship groups. Again, remember what we talked about before. It's not just about making baby Christians. It's about helping to grow disciple making disciples. And so it goes from streaming our service 
and then funneling into discipleship groups where ministry can continue on throughout the week. And those can be something as simple as a Zoom group where we break out. If we were a church service right now, we could easily have some discussion questions, break out into five different rooms and have 20 people in a room with a leader and discuss those questions. And then in 10 minutes, we'd come back and we'd, we'd share some of those learnings. So there's many different tools and technologies. And the guidebook that we're talking about will be able to help train that. Now, there is an engagement funnel. And I realize this slide looks incredibly overwhelming. And one of the good things about the guidebook is it will help to break this down really tangibly. But when we look at how do we get people engaged in the discipleship process, first we start with people who are unaware and unengaged. They may not even know who Jesus is or the Bible or the Injil, the New Testament, but we can engage them through social media, through Facebook, through Instagram, through Twitter, through YouTube. Then we want to move them from unaware to problem aware. They now realize they may have seen or heard the good news of Jesus Christ, but they're not connected. They don't know uh, how to have a personal relationship, but they know that something's not quite right. And this is where we guide them through things like Google ads or YouTube or your church website. And we move them from problem aware to brand aware. Well, now they're engaging. They're watching that live service, whether it's on YouTube or a church online platform or, or Facebook or the, the platform like, for example, My Home, My Church or the church online. Uh, if you, For those of us who uh, work also in the Arab speaking world, uh, churchonline.faith is another example of the type of ministries where we're having live uh, virtual churches take place. And keep in mind, how do most of us actually engage on the internet? It's on these devices. So we have to think through even the practical side of how do we stream, how do we broadcast, and on what format are we using? But they become aware that your church is the place to find information about Jesus and hope and life and how to access the New Testament. And then through engagements, through Facebook groups, through Zoom groups, through WhatsApp and through Instant Messenger, we can connect with people and begin to help them become what we call solution aware. They know that they are sinners in desperate need of a Savior and that Jesus is here for them any time of any day. And we can begin that process of sharing with them and bringing them into the opportunity where they have the opportunity to accept Jesus Christ to begin that personal relationship, to come into a community where they're discipled and like Dr. Yasser did, to be baptized and received into the fellowship. So you see here through this digital engagement funnel, all of the different aspects, worship, fellowship, discipleship, service and ministry. You know, imagine having volunteers who serve and moderate the chats and facilitate and pray with people live during the services. Right? So there's all the five functions of a healthy biblical New Testament church we could actually see lived out here in this awareness funnel. So this is just kind of a, a very big 40,000-foot view of kind of the how-to. And like I said, we'll be breaking all of that down for you in the guidebook. Justin, thank you so much. I guess what we're saying over here, uh, the ultimate goal is to be able to use a virtual setting, the online setting, as a tool to eventually bring people face-to-face. -face. Because the idea, the final goal is that it is important for people to have a face-to-face -face interaction. Um, so, Son, um, I do have a question for you. But before I share the question, I wanted to remind our audience uh, again, we are very happy to have you with us. We are one hour into this webinar. Now, we are going into the second hour. 
Should you be able to stay with us and, and be a part of this, we would like to welcome you to continue being with us on this webinar. Through the second hour, we are going to be focusing more on the questions that are coming in on the chat boxes. There are a lot of questions that are coming in. Thank you for being with us. Again, the topic of the day of the webinar is legitimization of virtual church. So, Hassan, a question has come up. The question says, to be clear, do you believe that online church can be the full expression of what Jesus desires us, or is it a solution until the believers can gather in person? I think uh, that's a wonderful question. I think there can be a range of answers on that question. I'm not sure if among ourselves we agree. Uh, for me, it's a temporary bridge, but that temporary bridge to person-to-person -person encounters, uh, we might never get there. For example, let's assume that in persecuted uh, communities, the Islamic regimes will continue to ban Christians from gathering. So the only form of church for all of your life could be the virtual online community. Mm -hmm. Obviously, the ideal is to meet face to face. So, th so that's why I don't think there is a simple answer to that. I, in my ministry, uh, constantly encourage people that the goal is to connect with a few human beings. They can see each other. They can uh, be iron sharpening iron. You know, we need, to, we need to connect with each other to help each other grow. Uh, and so I look at this online ministry right now in my own life as a temporary solution to situations, whether it's persecution, whether it's the pandemic uh, and a host of other issues. Uh, but even, but I want to say this, uh, I have no problem with having an online uh, church and encouraging believers in a lo location, even if, she's, if it, even if it's just three, four, five of them to meet in a home group, to discuss the sermon, to talk about applying the sermon, to hold each other accountable. Uh, I don't have any problem with that expression of the church. So that the, the teaching, the praise, worship, a lot of fellowship happens in an online platform. But then the ministry continues in small home groups. That, to me, would be also a wonderful situation. Uh, Dr. Yasser, you wanted to go ahead and share? Your, your microphone is mute, brother. You know, that, that's, this question is a very typical question that could drift us, you know? Like, when we pose a question like that, we are raising automatically the expectations that the, the physical church that we have, it is the true fulfillment of the church of Christ. You know, each church of us, you know, we are growing. You know, we have, you know, like my church is not perfect. So even if you meet face to face, so we are all walking and we're all growing every day to be the fullest church of Jesus Christ that he wanted. And honestly speaking, if you meet in a building or if you meet under the tree or if you meet online, we are far away from that goal to be fulfilled and to say we reached there. Um, I, a question that has come up, I do want to get to you guys, Justin and Edwin. People who are watching, please send us your questions. This is a good time to ask <laughs> Anglican, Presbyterian, Lutheran, and Evangelical experts that are doing uh, a virtual church. Justin, I want to ask you a quick question. Uh, somebody, uh, one of our viewers is saying, would someone, would Justin please, maybe you could comment on how economical virtual church can be. They're talking about from a perspective of good stewardship. Could you briefly touch on that? 
Yeah, I, in fact, that's why I was raising my hand. I wanted to, to highlight, uh, prior to becoming an Anglican, I'm, I'm a recovering Southern Baptist, I would say, and uh, I had the chance to serve in, in a very large church, in a, in a mega church in one of our cities in the South, and um, that particular church, one of the, the uh, projects we were doing was a $55 million extension for three floors of education space to that church. And I struggled with that, just to be really candid, because I knew what $55 million could do. And keep in mind, this is three floors of an education space that will sit empty six days a week. And so I, I really had a hard time with that, because I had to come back and say, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom, I mean, think of how many, you know, whether it's Bibles or digital churches or Pastors could be trained or, or hungry people could be fed, right? So from an economic standpoint, you know, we can start up a virtual church um, very, very quickly, very, very efficiently. You could literally get a virtual church started for under $1,000. You could get it started for, you know, the cost of an iPhone in many cases. And that's the honest truth. And we think about it. We don't have to have committees to debate what color carpet we have or which air conditioning to use or what colors to paint or do we have a pew or do we have chairs? I mean, there's a lot of just headache and hassle and heartache that quite frankly, I think does more disservice to the body of Christ than it does add anything of value. And we could negate a lot of that through a virtual church. Now, uh, the other thing I would say is the virtual church does not mean fake church. And I think it's a really important distinction. We're not playing church. We don't pretend to do church. We are the church. The people are the church. That's why Christ said, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am. We are the body of Christ, not the building. The building could fall away tomorrow. And, you know, I think the, the other question is, are we having the life impact, the city impact? Are we the kind of church that actually is transforming our community? Or is it just a place where we gather once a week and have, you know, tea, coffee, and some fellowship and a good sing-along? And so that's really the encouragement. There's a lot of churches, physical churches, that really aren't actually fulfilling the Great Commission or changing lives in their community. They're just occupying space. Well, I, you know, this is my personal conviction is that I'm, I'm looking now as an Anglican to say, well, how do we do historical liturgical worship in a digital setting? And we're seeing tremendous uh, opportunities open up even in Iran with some of our uh, Anglican brothers who are doing amazing work in that country. Justin, thank you so much. Edwin, I want to come to you. We have a couple of questions on Iran, and I believe that you are one of the people who's an expert in media. The first question is, can you tell us about the issue of security for online church meetings, um, uh, for instance, for, uh, for people in Iran? What are the, some of the uh, tips to, uh, for security, uh, security tips? And the other question is, technically, can the Iranian state affect the virtual church? Would you be able to share a bit with us on that part? Absolutely, absolutely. I just want to mention something really quick in passing because I, I really enjoyed the answers that Justin and Dr. Yasser gave. And I just want to add a little bit of a thing here and then move on to your, answering your question. I mean, look at, look at the Nicene Creed, right? That is where everyone goes to define what the real church is. This is related to the question that can we tell this is, the, can we say the virtual church is the full expression, real expression of the church? Every denomination, every theological orientation goes back to the Nicene Creed and, and, and say and, and, and echoes 
what is written there that uh, the church is, you know, we believe in the Holy Catholic Church. So the Catholic Church goes there and defines it. Lutheran Church goes there and defines it. Presbyterian use that to define their own understanding of church. And in reality, is I mean, <laughs> nobody nobody agrees actually what the real church is because we have our own definition of it. So I just want to go back to this reality that depending which angle we're look at, looking at this, we'll have different understanding what the real church is. So this is a question to be discussed. This is a question to kind of uh, growing and understand what that really means and not to come up with the quick answer for that. As far as the security goes, Mike, uh, well, uh, being a Christian is not a secure thing, secure thing to do. You know, once you say yes to Jesus, you, you put yourself in danger because of, because of the obvious reason. We have all read the book of Acts. We know how challenging it is to be a Christian, even in a, in a, in a secular world, that, that maybe religious persecution is not that obvious. You always are secluded. You're always under pressure. You always face some sort of a persecution. So, so that, that said, there are always measures. There are always things we, need, we can do to make sure that we uh, don't put ourselves intentionally out there on their, on their way of harms. Uh, definitely those who are running the church, they're e-pastors, <laughs> virtual church pastors, uh, uh, they need to remind the attendees that do not share your personal information because one of the reasons that the Iranians get together in this virtual setting is to make sure that they are not identified by the government, right? So when you're out there in your virtual church, make sure you're not using your real name. Only those are revealed to your pastor, the online church pastor. Make sure you're not sharing anything. Make sure when if someone gets connected to you and, and shares, uh, you know, that he, he wants to help you out, he is, he's, a, he's a pastor, he's, a, he's a counseling, whatever it is, make sure those information always goes through your pastor to anyone who is accountable to that part of the ministry. So that, that needs to be always reminded because once you get to the online world, you, I mean, that is a different world, it has a different characteristic, and you tend to share your information, especially for someone, an, an isolated believer, who has been living his Christian life all by himself. Now it is connected to this virtual world. He's or she is excited to meet other Christians, right? And then they tend to share more stuff. They tend to kind of, I, I want to see you, brother or sister. We need to make sure these, these measures are always reminded and, and, and uh, make sure those uh, information are kept private. Thank you, Edwin. This is powerful. I want to go ahead and uh, remind again all our, our audience who are with us. We are so glad that you're with us and we're talking about um, uh, the legitimacy of virtual church. And we are talking about Heart for Iran Ministries and its partner of, its ministry partners are over 100 ministries that are focusing on Iran. And um, we're talking about the fact that we are finding ourselves in a virtual setting. And uh, because Iran is such a persecuted country, uh, we're realizing that uh, online ministry is really helping. Uh, just to also give you guys a perspective, Iranian uh, Islamic news agencies have already printed articles about uh, about our ministry that is uh, bringing online church to people. We've been doing this since 2014, but not more so as a virtual church. Uh, what I wanted to share with you, if you're just joining us, we are taking questions online. Uh, go ahead and type your questions for us. Also, uh, Justin mentioned that uh, his organization, Mina Collective, is putting together a, a booklet 
on opportunities and challenges and, and the best practices. If you are interested to get, to get that uh, for yourself as a free copy, email us at info at heartforiran.com. Heart for Iran, that's number four, Iran.com. The booklet is not ready yet. It's being compiled, and once it is ready, we'll be able to send it to you guys. I do want to go ahead and bring a quick question to you, Dr. Yasser. Um, a question that came on, on Facebook, and just take a brief time to discuss it. Can you touch on the way you shepherd over the table virtually? That's a challenging question. How do you deal with the scan of sacraments? How do you shepherd over the table virtually? Yeah, you see, like, um, uh, uh, I mean, the most diff uh, complicated question, how to baptize, you see, but the whole thing ties back to it. What is my role as a priest, you know, over the, like, to, uh, to celebrate the Lord's Supper? Of course, Mike, if I can meet you face to face, there is nothing better than seeing you, like hugging you and giving you the bread in your hands to take it, Okay. But my mom sits in Khartoum, you know. She has no contact to anybody. Of course, I can call her. Of course, we, I can connect her visually. And I could say the same words that I will say, you know, for people you know, to commission people to break the bread. You know, the only difference is the distance and that we're not in the same room. But the Lord is the same Lord. You know, the, the, the praxis is the same praxis. You see, Mike, we don't have to forget, you know, like not that a church has a mission and we ask God to help us in our mission. Actually, God has a mission, you know, and using the church to fulfill his mission. And, and that's why we have to rethink about that. Of course, the logistical issues, we have to speak about it. But you see, the same question is like you have in a stadium full of like 10,000 people, you know? How are you going to manage that? So this logistical logistical way of doing it, we can debate about it, we can see the best praxis of it, but we have to agree from the beginning that is possible because Jesus, he's in Khartoum with my mom, he's with me here and he's connecting us, you know? But let me comment on this, you know, like, you know, like I would like to say, you know, when I was doing also online church sermons, I always emphasized at the beginning of my sermon, I say, if you have a physical church that you can belong to, please go there. You know, I emphasize this all of the time. And we need to do that. You see, but we have to make sure that those who can't, we can serve them. And there are some people, actually, we can help them in the transition time. I'll give you an example. Here in Germany, I baptized some Iranians. Their journey started with the, with the online church in Tehran. They came to know that I did nothing. You guys brought the gospel to them. You discipled them. And they came here to Germany, to our church. We baptized them. You see? So there is a transitional time. It could be. But as Sassan said at the beginning, there are some people, maybe there will never be a transitional time unless one day in the Tahrir Square in, 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 in Cairo that like 10 million MBBs will come out, you see? Or 20 million in, in, in Tehran, you know? Then the transitional time will be perfect. Hallelujah, hallelujah. So uh, to our audience, we really haven't figured out all the challenges of virtual church. 
there are a lot of pitfalls. There are a lot of questions. There are a lot of blind spots. The reason we are having this webinar is to have an honest discussion about the opportunities and challenges. So we're here trying to take questions. And so, Son, a good question that has come in and I wanted to share with you. I think you're the right person to answer this question. Uh, an Iranian gentleman writes for us. He says, I used to be a leader of an Iranian local church in Turkey. And one of the biggest tensions that we always had with some of the members was that they wouldn't attend church service, but instead they were attending Iranian virtual churches. My question is, how do virtual church leaders encourage people in open countries to be committed to their local church first? Just like uh, Yasser, in all our programs on TV, in all our messages in our online church, we encourage believers to connect with the local bodies. And I think, and I, I want to, somebody just wrote a comment, uh, Mike, I want to I tie a couple of themes sure. here. To me, a huge part of the church is the one another passages in the Bible. And to, be, to, to love one another, to encourage one another, to confess our sins to one another, to build up one another, uh, to, you know, to, uh, we need to, the face-to-face -face relationship gives us the opportunity to, to practice these one another's. But we can also practice these one another's in a virtual online uh, community as well. Uh, if we are, if we decide to become vulnerable to each other. I can be in a physical church with a brother and sister, never open my heart to him or her, or I can be in an in a, in a online relationship and open up my heart and be vulnerable to the other person. So the quality of our relationship and one another commands, it depends on how seriously we want to obey the scriptures. Now, it is obviously... And you know, it is obviously easy to stop attending a local congregation because I don't want to be accountable. I don't want someone to call out my sin. I don't want to confront a difficult brother or sister and just say, oh, I just want to do a virtual church and hide behind my computer. So that's a challenge. And we want to push back against that. But somebody can also go to a local church and hide behind a facade of being a religious spiritual person and but be vulnerable in an online community. So I don't have an easy solution. We, we discourage people from running away from difficult situations because virtual church is easier. We want to discourage that. That's why I said iron builds iron. Builds, uh, iron. It's, it's, in, it's when somebody makes me upset and frustrated. When I learn how to react to that person with love and humility, that's what builds me up. And Thank sometimes, you. sometimes it's easy to hide away from that tension in a virtual community, but we, we cannot hide away from it if we are serious about spiritual growth. So we encourage them, uh, but, but sometimes there are also problems in local churches. Again, I talked about uh, we, we lack qualified leaders to, to lead the churches. So sometimes I think a partnership between online churches and local physical churches is the way to go, but I don't have an easy solution. Uh, Dr. Yasser? Well, just directly to this, you know, Mike, we don't have to forget, you know, like this church tourism, that people will go from a group to a group, will change a place to a place. This has nothing to do with visual church. You know, like today, if I am pastoring someone, you know, physically, 
I preach him the same sermon every day. You know, I'm being very boring. And you are a teacher on TV bringing him like something that he could grow spiritually. Of course, he was going to get to go to follow you. So I would have to ask myself, you know, when people leave the church, you know, it's not the problem of visual, visual church or another existing church, you know. And as Hassan said that we're hiding, this is a human sinfulness. You know, this has nothing to do with which form of church that we're having. I want to go ahead and um, ask a couple of questions again from our, uh, from our viewers. Again, if you guys are joining us, we're talking about virtual church. We are joined by uh, Justin Murph uh, and Sosan uh, Tavassoli, Yasser, Eric, and uh, Evin Abnus. Um, the question that has come up, and I would like to have either one of you guys, uh, whoever wants to share, uh, could share on this one. It says, um, I think it would be helpful to revisit the distinctions between the church universal and local churches. For example, Dr. Yasser's example served to establish a local church that is at times able to meet together physically. What are some helpful tips to encourage that that as a goal from the beginning? Does that make sense to you guys? Who would like to take a shot at this? I, I did not understand exactly okay. the question. So your example served to establish a local church. Yes. Uh, to meet together physically. There are, the question is, what are some helpful tips to encourage that goal from the beginning, for, uh, for, uh, not only for the local church, but also universal church? I believe that's the question that is being asked. Yeah. If the person yeah. who asked the question uh, is online, uh, you want to rephrase the question, please do so. But yeah. not every single question is important to us. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, you know, from the beginning, I would emphasize both. You know, like if I, today I establish a house group in my village, I will emphasize from the beginning, we are belonging to a universal church, you know? And if I make a church online, which is universal, I will always emphasize, you know, you are also a local body. So like, actually it's not either nor either. It is both, you know, it is both. And this is from the beginning. I really loved the, the, what uh, Edwin just said, you know, about the creed, you know, in the creed, you know, there, when it speaks about this universal church, you know, like in one of my online teaching on the uh, church online, we took the whole creed from the beginning to the end, you know, like any church will take. And then we spoke about the, about the, the understanding of church. And then this person who's following us at home, we told him, you know, you are a part of the body of Christ. You know, for us, uh, Mike, as MBBs, it is very important to belong to this ummah, you know. And this ummah, it could be a local ummah that we see each other. You know, Sasan, we never met, you know. Like, but now in this virtual meeting since yesterday, you know, we are connected. We are connected, you see. And if I see him one day, I will hug him. And if Jesus Christ comes before, we meet in heaven and then we speak, you know, about this. You see, you know, it is, it is both. It's not one versus the other. Amen, amen. Now, I want to remind our audience again that today being a Tuesday is a giving Tuesday. We, are, we have a waiting list of about 500 and some people inside Iran that are requesting Bibles. It's about $7 per Bible for us to send it to them. So if you are interested to join us and be a partner in giving towards Giving Tuesday for these Bibles, Go ahead and click on the link in the chat box. Uh, along with the questions on the Bible, Edwin, I want to pose a question to you. One of our audience members is asking, they're saying, 
Um, uh, let me find the question here and make sure I have it. It says, uh, church can still be sending, you could still be ch- sending print Bibles to people. Um, do you feel digital downloads are not equally respected? The Farsi Bible is available for downloads from many different sites. So can you tell us how Heart for Iran is dealing between um, digital and, and print? And again, the bigger question is, do you feel digital downloads are not equally respected? Well, I think we, can, we should do whatever we can do. We should send print Bibles. We should, we should send digital Bibles. We should communicate. We should say the uh, audio Bible, any possible way, anything that we have in our disposal, we need to use to preach the gospel, to send the word out. And Heart for Iran is actively involved in sending or providing digital downloads uh, for Iranians, as a matter of fact, I don't want to give it a number unless you, uh, you guys are comfortable sharing. We have uh, uh, we have provided digital downloads for the last couple of years, and, and the number of downloads that uh, we are seeing is far greater than the print that uh, has been sent in past uh, two decades inside the country. And we we, have, we see a great success. People are interested to have digital. You know, it's easy for people to have their their their, their uh, um, Bible in on their cell phones and then easily hide it. The digital print is good. Is to have in in our house churches in the secure places where uh, people are not questions. But digital download is most the most uh, demanded uh, form of uh, scriptures that we uh, tend to uh, send out. Um, I want to bring a question to any one of you guys on the panel. I think probably um, Brother Yasser or Justin, this would probably be applicable to you guys. Uh, The question is, Middle East leaders argue that buildings are needed to give the church identity in, in, in any society. How does virtual church play into that? Who would like to take well, a shot at this? Yeah, I mean, you see, exactly because of this, of this, of this question and of this assumption, I think digital church it could solve a lots of problems. You know, if buildings gives us the identity. You see, the minute we define church as a place, you know, if if you ask anybody, say, what is the church? If you start to define his definition, say, a, a church is a place. You know, then, then you know that the rest of the definition is actually not accurate. You know, so the church is not a place. And this is actually the problem that we have also MBBs. You know, MBBs sometimes will get persecuted. Do you know why? Because we want to build buildings like the other Christians. Because we want to build um, uh, 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 kingdoms, you know. And then the security, they will know where we are. They know where our bank account and all of that. And they get and arrest us, you know. Church is the people of Jesus Christ, period. You see, and that's why this whole prestige area, and actually this is something for us priests and religious people, it is very hard to digest. You know, today to tell me, you know, let your flock go, you know, (laughs) and and I'm losing my existence. I'm losing actually my legitimization. Why am I here? But I have to remind myself all of the time, this is not my church. Is it the church of Christ? You know, and if it is that way, then I should be happy in every form. So the minute we define church as a place, as a building, as a prestige, as an institute, you know, then we lost it. I think this is also where it goes into the incarnational... Oh, sorry. Please. This is also where it goes into the incarnational presence of Christ online, right? So wherever we are, 
Christ is there with us. And so bringing Christ into the, what, what many perceive the internet to be a dark space. And, you know, you look at the virtual reality church that's emerging right now, well, that whole virtual reality church discussion emerged simply because a pastor said, wait a second, if, if virtual reality is being used for all kinds of vices, where is the church's ground in that space? Where is the church's presence in the virtual reality world? And so uh, pastors like DJ Soto have created the, the virtual reality church to, to provide that space. I think the same is true online. Um, now, there, there's one question, Mike, if I can, that the question came up about viewership when, when Canada went into lockdown and churches in America went into lockdown. Uh, viewership was really high, and then the following week it was really low. And I think the reason why some churches are experiencing this is because it goes back to what I said before, streaming your Sunday service simply isn't enough. We have to be intentional about building community online. And so how do we take every function of our church, our small groups, our Bible studies, our Sunday school classes, youth uh, and children's classes, adult spiritual formation, every aspect of ministry, and transfer that to an, a presence online. And that's one of the things that in the guidebook we'll be sharing with you how to do that. But the reason why many churches are failing to continue to grow online is simply because they're just streaming a service. They're not actually being the church online. They're not doing the different functions of church in an online environment. It does take some skill. Let's hear from Dr. Sosan as well. Justin, that thank you so much. Sosan? Thank you. No, I'll be I'll be brief. No, I think we should not, we should not pit virtual church and building church as competition with each other. There is room for both. It's very important to acknowledge that from my perspective. And to the person who asked that wonderful question, there are many parts of the Islamic world where you are not allowed to build a building. So that's just not possible. But I know for a fact that there are, for example, I have a lot of Presbyterian brothers and sisters in Egypt where they are given lands and they can build buildings. And in their context and culture, they tell us that having a building is important for identity, for creating that sense of community. So I want to respect that. I want to honor that. Now, somebody can be wrapped up uh, in just building and institutions and spending money on just maintenance. We don't want to do that. But if in context that allows you to have a building to create identity, legitimacy in front of an Islamic government, protect your community from persecution or oppression, be an ad, you know, get involved in advocacy for human rights and uh, religious freedom, great, God's blessing on you and your building and your property. But in many other parts of the Islamic world, buildings are just out of the picture. So the reality is, you know, you can just do a church in a coffee shop under a tree or in a house. So we just have to be flexible because the Islamic world is not just, you know, there are many different contexts in neighboring countries. And we need to respect all of those particular situations. So a question that comes up, Edwin, go ahead and share your thought and I'm going to Jump into a question. Yeah, this one, uh, th that was a very beautiful question. I think, I think it's very important. We need to understand the distinctions when we talk about a universal church and a local church. You know, once you go back to the New Testament and look at what's happening, how the church is expanding from a, from a locality, from a local church, we see that there are different expressions. That is, that is the word we see, we hear today, we're using it many times. We have a church that is 
uh, has this ter- ter- is a territorial, has, is a lo- local church. And then we see uh, Apostle Paul is sending letters to, to different churches that are not in his, uh, you know, in, in his same location. And then we, we understand this concept of global churches is emerging and that we have this universal church that is, there is no a concept of, uh, you know, saints from the past, saints from the future, saints who are in heaven. So now we are emerging into a new era where this uh, new technology is redefining our community, our relationship, the way we engage with each other. And we need to understand that there's a new aspect of these relationships, you know, coming to, uh, to light. We need to understand that we can, in light of this new technology, we can add another expression which is virtual church, which may not be, could, definitely was not relevant 2,000 years ago. We should have this open mind to at least think about it. This is a new expression of, of the you know, real presence of uh, Jesus in our uh, midst of believers. Edwin, thank you so much, Dr. Yasser. Allow me to come back to you in a moment. I do want to take a moment to thank people who are giving towards Giving Tuesday. As I mentioned, uh, we have roughly a list of 520 Iranians inside Iran that are uh, requesting Bibles, and it's uh, roughly about $7 a Bible. Thank you for the gifts that are coming in. Somebody just paid for 112 of these 520 people to get a Bible. So I just want to say uh, thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your financial support. Uh, the link to be able to partnership uh, to partner with us on that part is on your chat boxes. I do want to go ahead and ask a question from you guys uh, because our time, we roughly have less than half an hour left, and there's some really good questions. People, again, we would just want to say that we haven't figured out the whole thing. We're having an honest conversation. What are some challenges and opportunities in virtual church so we could learn from each other? One of the questions that comes about is the fact, gentlemen, that do we agree that the ultimate goal is for us to be able to have a face-to-face? And if so, how do you perceive the transition from a virtual church to a physical one? Would anybody like to discuss that? Dr. Eric. You see, like, uh, I would like just to read one Bible verse so that we cannot mix things, you know, the building and all of that, and then I get to this question. You know, this Bible verse comes from Matthew chapter 9 and verse 16 and 17. And there, these are the words of Jesus. said, no one sews a patch of an unshrunk clothes on an old garment for the patch will pull away from the garment, making uh, the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into an old wine skins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they, 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 they pure new wine into, uh, into new wine skins, and both are preserved. We have always to keep that in mind if we're thinking about this. About the transitional time, of course, I think, I think our ultimate goal, and, and, and actually, Mike, to be honest, you know, like those people who are underground churches, if they have a chance to meet face-to-face, believe me, they're going to do it, you know, and they would love to do it, you see. And that's why, from the beginning, we communicate that, and actually, the teaching, we don't have to make a strategical, a strategical transition and say, well, after one year, after one, we have this to teach them what church is. Church is a body of Christ, you know? And believe me, as soon as those people get the chance and the ability of the security reasons and all of that, 
they are going to get into um, a, 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 a real fellowship with people. I want to thank you so much. I do want to go ahead and take a moment and get to know our, our panelists a little bit more. Um, there are questions that are coming in uh, for people like Justin and, and others, uh, questions as to, well, if you are going to do online ministry, what are the good platforms? What are some areas, uh, some technical advice, some do's and don'ts? Uh, we want to go ahead and take a moment and um, ask each one of you guys to kind of share about your own ministry. If people want to connect with you guys personally, what is the best way to connect with you guys? Justin, I want to start with you. You've been talking about a lot of, obviously you have to put a lot into uh, figuring out and researching the market and the strategies. People want to find out more about, uh, um, about you guys and connect with you guys and get uh, to see your website. What is the best way for them to connect with you? Thanks, Mike. Yeah. If, uh Feel free to visit the minacollective.org, the minacollective.org. That's our organization that helps promote and support more than 150 ministries like Heart for Iran and uh, we're serving across 23 different countries of North Africa, the Middle East, Turkey, and Pakistan. And so to just connect and learn more about what we're doing and the projects we're supporting like Heart for Iran, visit us there or on Facebook at the Mina Collective, Instagram as well at the Mina Collective. Great, great. And again, if people want to go ahead and get their hands on that a handbook, the, the best practices, so email us at info at heartforiran.com. Want to go to Dr. Sasan Tawassoli. Dr. Sasan, you are the pastor of Mahabad Virtual Church. Tell us more about that. What website do people go to? What days of the week you guys are online? And can you, uh, how can people connect with you? Uh, before I talk about us, I also want to acknowledge we were supposed to have this seminar, as we said, in person in London, and we had invited other ministry leaders to also be among us, which we could not do it uh, on this platform. So I want to uh, give a shout out to our brothers and sisters in 222 Ministries. I saw Brother Fashid had written a comment earlier. 222 Ministries under the leadership of Brother Lazarus is doing a great job also in an online format as well as church planting in Iran, Turkey, across the world. Elam Ministries, Pastor Hormoz. So it's not just Heart for Iran. It's a, it's a collaboration. It's, the, it's a big group of believers that God is raising up in the Iranian world. And uh, I thank God and we bless all of you for the wonderful work that you're all doing. Our uh, online church uh, is every Thursday night, uh, 9 p.m. Tehran time, and we have Iranians, uh, we use a platform that is broadcast live onto Facebook, on YouTube channel. We have people sometimes from Australia, across Iran, Turkey, Europe, all the way to Vancouver that come into this virtual church platform. The pastor of our congregational life is in London. He comes and greets. Our worship leaders are in Turkey. I preach from my office in Atlanta. And then we receive prayer requests and we pray for people and we fellowship. And we've just started. We want to do a lot more. We want to, as Justin suggested, we want to divide up into small groups, do more discipleship, leadership training. But it's just a wonderful time. And it's it just the way the body of Christ, you feel this global church, you're part of a much bigger family. This creates this has created a platform for us at Heart for Iran to bring a 
established prominent Iranian pastors, along with the new emerging generation of Iranian leaders and pastors. So we have different guest preachers that bring a message. It's providing a platform, uh, a platform, a networking opportunity. It's developing new friendships, new relationships. So it's just fantastic. And I'm just grateful for Art for Iran to create this uh, opportunity. And uh, Mike Elisa, MikeElisa.com and the MikeElisa Facebook are the platforms that uh, people can watch our programs and be in contact with us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Yasser Eric from Germany. Thank you so much for being with us. I know it's evening time and you're in your local time. You are with Community Messianica. Tell us more about Community Messianica and also if people want to get in touch with you and, and uh, what is the best website and also I know that you are ministering uh, through television programs to a lot of Arab nations. Tell us more about that as well. How could, how could people find you and where they could see you? Yeah, uh, very simple. Communia Messianica means the Ummah of Jesus Christ. We are um, a grassroots movement for MVBs without building, without institutions, without anything. We are trying together Muslim background believers worldwide. Now we are connected in 79 countries with Muslim background believers. would like to give them a sense of identity, sense of belonging, and to create the bigger ummah of Jesus Christ. I am not a, a media person, you know, but I'm so, I'm so um, um, happy that to be partner, you know, like well, Al Hayat, for instance. Al Hayat is giving a platform at this at the, the moment. I'm sitting here in my office, you know, and I do, you know, like twice a week or three times a week from here, live Bible study, which goes all over. So alhayat.org, you could go there and get all of the of the information. Also, I'm involved with um, a program called Church Online. You know, it started before this uh, uh, Corona time, you know, church online, it is a group that we come and discuss a Bible verse, you know, and, and the idea of it that every home could turn into a house church, could turn into a body of uh, Christ. And that's why I really recommend this uh, church um, online. And through that, you can get hold of me and hold of the other people that are involved in this uh, ministry. Thank you so much. We're so glad you're with us. Edwin, I wanted to ask you a favor, if you could please let us know more about Mohabat TV, what is the vision for Mohabat TV, and also uh, how can people connect, watch programs uh, if they're inside Iran? If you could give us some information, that'd be fantastic. Sure, sure. Uh, Heart for Iran, uh, well, has a media arm. That's as Mohabat TV, and uh, Mohabat TV have been around more than uh, 15 years now, 16 years now. And it's a 24-7 satellite channel that broadcasts Farsi uh, content to all over the world. Uh, it covers Europe, uh, North Africa, Middle East, and our primary uh, audience are Farsi-speaking people. And we have uh, about like 80%, I believe, non-believers watching the, sh uh, the programs that we have. And, and Wabat TV is hosting a lot of programming from different partners around the globe that have a heart for Iran. They want to share the gospel. They want to engage with the Iranians and Afghans and Tajiks, uh, wherever they are. And um, we have a main website where our Farsi content for the programming is uh, being hosted. It is called Mohabbat.tv. 
Uh, and uh, also, Dr. Sasson mentioned mykelisa.com is where our uh, virtual church is hosted. And we have also an e-learning platform. It is called masihiat.com. It's a if you want to translate it into English, it is Christianity.com, uh, in a sense, uh, uh, Masiat.com, where we uh, provide courses for those Christians who want to go through, uh, you know, A to Z of Christian faith, uh, from uh, a new believer all the way to leadership uh, stage. We hold their hands, walk them uh, one course at a time, and, and help them to grow in their faith and sharpen their tools of leadership. And 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 uh, at the end, we are hoping of praying that they become pastors and ministers. And uh, yes, we are a media a ministry. We preach the gospels, but we are definitely focusing online and this digital platform as well. And it's and this these recent couple uh, years, I believe, internet it's uh, taking off and. And virtual uh, world is, uh, uh, has, has become an important stage that we, we, we want to make sure we are present there as well. Thank you, Edwin. Um, so to our audience, we have about 15 minutes left. And again, your questions are important. We still have some questions that I'm going to ask our, our panelists. I wanted to give you a perspective about a year and a half ago. Uh, before we launched our virtual church uh, the way it is. Again, as I said, since 2014, we've been online. But about a year and a half ago, I contacted one of the pastors in the underground church inside Iran. And I asked him, I said, can you please ask your congregation and do a survey and ask him how many of them are watching our online church a year and a half ago? This is 2018. His answer to me was this. He said, Mike, majority of the people are following the message through TV, satellite TV. We feel that most of the blue-collar individuals inside Iran are not really online. You are probably targeting the white-collar Iranians. These are the ones who are going to be the leaders and movers and shakers of the society down the road. He says, you're targeting those people, not the blue-collar people. Fast forward to last week. Last week, I asked him the same question and asked him to do a survey. And his answer to me was, Mike, everybody's online. White color, blue color, everybody's there. So there is a question that came from one of you guys on Facebook said, when do we start to uh, have our online church? I would say to you, do it right away. And if you don't know how to do it, there are a whole, but a, a long, whole bunch of ministries, such as MII, such as MENA Collective, such as others that can sit down and help you. Uh, in, in establishing your platform and guide you through those. Now, a concept that has come up is the concept of giving. How do you, how do you give on a virtual church? There are probably five or six questions that has come in about that concept. And I wanted to ask you, Justin, uh, I know that you and I had a discussion and you had shared some about this. Can you please share your insight on this topic and how we could handle that or go about it on a virtual or online setting? Absolutely. So one of the key things like we've talked about is building that community online. And as we're building that community, it really helps for the online churches, virtual churches to begin to actually think our teaching on stewardship and generosity. And so when we look at, you know, a lot of people talk about time, talent and treasure, but I think we're really missing out on a, a fourth T, which is testimony. And so I encourage people to begin to teach through 
the fact of time. We have 24 hours in a day. We're online quite a bit nowadays. So how do we steward the time that God's given us? And then how do we steward our talents, our gift and resources? Are we serving, volunteering in the life of our church? Are we being the chat room moderators or welcoming people or maybe becoming a prayer counselor or participating in a small group as a, as a leader or as a, a helper? Um, so are we using our time, our talent, and then our testimony? Are we sharing our faith? Are we inviting our friends? Are we inviting people into the online environment? What a great opportunity to be able to invite people in safely into an environment where really the, the, there are risks, but the risks are far less than the physical church gathering, particularly using services like VPNs and, and other uh, platforms. And then finally, if your time is right and your testimony is right and your tra- your um, talents are stewarded right, then stewarding your treasure becomes kind of a natural byproduct at that point. And so in the service, just like you would in a physical church service, give people the opportunity to give, whether that's through an online giving or through accounts. Now, for those inside of the country, this can be really, really tricky because uh, it's not like you can just do an online account, but there are several different ways to conduct online giving to support the ministries that could be done through VPN in particular. Now, for those in the diaspora, this is a much simpler problem. So to be able to to give to an account in the UK or Canada or Australia or in in the US uh, through online giving, even if you can't give through online, there are many different ways when we think holistically about giving and stewarding our resources that we can be creative with. And so, Um, those are one area. Another thing that we've seen just real quick is giving community. And so as you're building your online church, what are the practical needs that need to be met from amongst your community? Doesn't that sound like the early church, right? Where they, they, they gave as each other had need. And so we're seeing this same model replicated in places like Pakistan and, and other parts of the Middle East. And I think we can see the same thing happen in Iran, the church really supporting the church. And because we're not having to pay for rent and air conditioning and, you know, the expensive uh, taxes that some have to pay in certain countries for even having a physical building. Those are resources that we can actually turn in and use those resources to do tangible ministry and to provide support for the body of Christ. Thank you, Justin. I wanted to mention that when it comes to finances, especially dealing with the country of Iran, all the ministries, you need to be very careful. There are laws in your, in your, uh, in your uh, location that may uh, uh, put you guys in, in, in some kind of a regulation. Iran is on the list of embargo and sanctions currently. So in America, there's OFAC regulations, and I'm sure in Europe there are all others as well. Whenever it comes to um, uh, you know, dealing with finances with Iran, please make sure that you abide to the laws, international laws and the local laws of your country as well to keep your ministry safe and the people in Iran safe as well. There are a lot of people in Iran that cannot give to a local church because they don't really have a local church. So I I personally think that it is good for them to also to give towards God's work in their region, in their, in their hometown. And, and, and I know during COVID-19, a lot of underground church leaders inside Iran were going out and buying hand sanitizers and masks and giving it to people and praying with people. I do want to ask a quick question. We only have about nine minutes left, and I want to ask maybe one or two of you guys to answer this question. Whenever you go online, there's a huge danger of individualism. 
uh, you really don't know who is the leader online. This virtual setting could have multiple leaders. Some of them may not have had any kind of theological training. Some of them may be um, a wolf in the, in the disguise of a sheep. Um, so the question that comes about is, would you give us some advice regarding the dangers of individualism that can arise in a virtual church or even churches in buildings? How do we go about that? Maybe one or two of you guys can answer, and we only have about eight minutes left. Please. Hassan, go. Go for it. There was another question I wanted to answer, but uh, this one, this is not just, again, just a problem with the virtual church. Uh, it's also a problem in a place like Turkey, for example, or house churches in Iran, you know, different cities in Turkey. You run across people who are self-proclaimed leaders. And then there's a problem of how do we distinguish who is doing solid Orthodox teaching? Where is a healthy church? Where is a toxic church? So I just feel like we need to be more educated about, again, healthy uh, faith communities, toxic faith systems. I think a good sign is if that leader is in fellowship and relationship with other pastors and leaders, is he recognized, is he acknowledged, is he a lone ranger? Being a lone ranger leader and pastor type is a dangerous thing. In the Iranian communities, there are networks forming like Hamgam Ministries or other ministries where Pastors are coming, they're forming like semi-denominations. So those are good checks and balances to have uh, for the, the growing church movements. One person asked also a question about a concern about virtual church. I want to really quickly say that too. I have a couple of concerns. I don't want to give, give an image that, you know, we've got everything figured out. One, children's ministry. Children's ministry is a huge concern. Not having Sunday school classes for a larger group of kids. Uh, families feel very uh, lonely and under-resourced in training their children in the faith. That's a huge challenge of virtual community. The issue of loneliness. You know, God has created us in a, in a way that we are wired for that human touch, for that human hug. And there are a lot of people who are still feeling lonely and isolated because they're not in physical relationship in a local body. So these are, these are concerns and challenges, I would say, to that question. Thank you so much, Sosan. I do want to also share with, uh, with our viewers who are involved in ministry or supporting ministries in Middle East as well or around the globe. I always want to warn you to make sure that you do uh, research and find out the person who is ministering, the leader who's out there uh, being a leader, um, that they are legitimate and they are bringing people together. I believe that Jesus' message is a message that brings people corporately together. We really strive at Hearts for Iran to work with everybody, all different denominations that are legitimate. That's why on this call, you can see a representation of Presbyterian, Anglican, Lutheran, evangelical um, uh, traditions that uh, are working with each other. Um, so if you are going to uh, listen to anybody or follow their example or fund anybody, make sure there are people that are willing to work with others because it is always through the spirit of collaboration and partnership that you see the spirit of humility and that's where God advances his kingdom. I would always be wary of individuals or lone wolves that sound good uh, and, and, and talk good, uh, but uh, when it comes to working with others, they shy away. There's always some kind of a challenge. So be diligent in who you partner with and you who you follow. It's extremely important. Um, I do want to go ahead and at this time, we only have about five minutes left. Um, there are some questions. There are uh, technical questions over here. But before I go into questions, there are a lot more questions here. I want to bring it back to our panelists. In the next five minutes, 
Is there anything that you want to close with? A, a, a conclusion, a statement that, that would sum up where we are and what we are saying uh, to, to your audience. I want to start, if you don't mind, uh, with uh, brother, Dr. Yasser. Maybe we could take um, less than a minute each and just give us a conclusion, a summary at the end. Well, first of all, I'm very thankful for the Lord that you guys working among the Iranian-speaking people, you have been experiencing all this in all of these years and that you are heading what is going on, you know, and we are learning from that. And this is actually, I see this is a blessing for God, for all of us to learn from it. Secondly, I also want to comment, you know, like all of the Arab-speaking initiatives there are lots of initiatives there are many churches that are going online now but i would like to ask them to go online intentionally not just because of a program you know and there's many people are doing very good work if i could just mention a few like set seven and karma you know like many churches there you know they're doing very good job and i'm very thankful for it i would like to highlight you know we did not figure all things out you see so i would like just to leave us with these thoughts you know, like we, it is right at the beginning. And then I would like to say to someone, you are locked down to Corona. If you appreciate, you know, every Sunday connecting with your church, you know, just imagine that in this Corona time, you did not have that opportunity. If you can imagine that, you will understand the situation of my mother in Khartoum. Thank you so much, Dr. Yasser. Uh, Dr. Sosan, would you please? Yeah, very, very quickly. This is just the beginning of a conversation. We're just starting this conversation. And I would say that uh, I really feel that the Iranian church, the church in the Middle East, has something to offer to the global church, especially the church in the West, about this new expression of the church. And I invite our Western theologians, our Western pastors, to really engage in this conversation with believers from around the world and uh, to make, a, to make uh, the online expression of the church a more holistic and uh, more enriching experience for us all. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sosam. You only have about a minute left, minute and a half left, Justin and then Edwin. Thank you so much for the ability to participate. Uh, we are so proud at the Mina Collective to be able to support ministries like Heart for Iran and many others. If you know of any uh, other online churches that maybe we could look at that are happening in the Middle East or in Iran, please email me, justin at theminacollective.org. As we're still compiling research for the guidebook, we'd love to talk with you. Finally, know that it is a conversation. This is by no means a definitive end note or a guidebook uh, that's that's going to be final we're planning to update that about every six months and make this into a great resource for churches throughout the mina region and beyond so your help is in making this come to, to fruition is really needed thank you thank you justin i've been in the last few seconds yeah i just want to remind again and i and i want to uh, basically echo whatever uh or call it my colleague said this is a discussion, and we have one Christ, one Lord over us, and our goal is to glorify Him. So let's put, set aside these divisions, different understandings, and theological uh, battles that we have over this, and let's have come in peace into this table, around this table, and have this, you know, constructive conversation and talk and then, and uh, find a, find an answer that eventually will glorify Christ. Thank you, Edwin. At Hearts for Iran, we do not have all the answers, but we would love to partner with you and work with you 
to figure out the best way to be able to minister to people. Uh, we are going to put this as a recording online. And again, thank you for joining us uh, for this beautiful uh, time with you guys. Uh, Given Tuesday is today. Uh, so please make sure you go ahead and join us. Follow us on our future um, uh, programs. On May 22nd, my friends, we do have a webinar with Biblica on the importance of Bible distribution inside Iran and the region. So be sure to join us on May 22nd on our next webinar with Biblica. And then finally, I just wanted to share with you this much. The gospel is only good if it gets there on time. Partner with us so we could stay faithful.